0: You're listening to Workers Power on Four Triple Z with Jackson
1: and Calypso.
0: Uh, today on the show, we have plenty of workers' action, uh, and we have Iswed coming in from the Southeast Queensland Union of Renters, and also from the campaign against racism and fascism, uh, to talk about what both of those are doing here in Mianjin. And, of course, we have our f- world-famous scallywag of the Week. Now, we're about to do some work, uh, First Nations workers' action. Uh, but first, we, uh, we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land from which we broadcast, who are the Yugra and Turrbal people. This land was stolen, never ceded. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. We also acknowledge all First Nations comrades listening today. We stand in solidarity with First Nations people in their struggle for, struggles for recognitions, reparations, and land rights. We live and benefit on stolen land, so it's time to pay the rent. Now, uh, our first story is from Melbourne and it's uh, about the campaign and it's part of the larger campaign against Black Deaths in custody. Take us away, Calypso.
1: So this comes to us from Nadine Silver from NITV News. Family and friends of women who have died at Melbourne's Maximum Security Women's Prison, Dame Phyllis Frost Centre, have gathered for a vigil to call for an end to deaths in custody. The gathering follows the death of an Aboriginal mother on the 29th of November at Sunshine Hospital, where she had been transferred from DPFC to receive medical treatment. Mara woman and former prisoner Jamie Lee Clark said she's devastated by her friend's death. She was the most beautiful, smart and by far funniest person I've met in my life, Miss Clark told NITV News. She got me through the hardest moments without my son while I was in custody. Four women and one baby have died in custody at DPFC over the past four years. Two of the women were Aboriginal. I feel like we need the world to look at what's going on behind those bars, Miss Clark said. When Miss Clark was in custody in March, she went into labour with her son. She said prison guards refused to call an ambulance. I was in pain. I had contractions and I was like, I'm having this baby, get me to the hospital, Miss Clark said. Because of the tone I used, they refused me medical treatment. Miss Clark gave birth two and a half days later, after she was escorted to hospital in a corrections vehicle. It was a traumatic birth. There were a few complications because he was large and they didn't expect that, Miss Clark said. I wasn't allowed to have appointments too close to the birth because they thought I would escape. Ms. Clark said she knows other prisoners have worse experiences with prison guards at DPFC. They use their power against us, so if we don't jump when they say jump and it's an emergency... They will hold it off. NITV News reached out to Corrections Victoria for comment. Elizabeth Morgan House, Aboriginal Women's Service CEO, Kellyanne Andy, said the deaths in custody reflect a lack of adequate care. Women in prison continue to not have their right to medical care respected or met, Miss Andy said. There is a vital need for Aboriginal people in custody to have better access to culturally safe medical assessments and care. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women are the fastest growing group in Victorian prisons. The Victorian government announced a $188.9 million investment in March to expand the women's DPFC prison. Miss Andy said the investment is devastating to Aboriginal mothers who make up 80% of women in prison. These deplorably high rates of parental incarceration result in the continued removal of aboriginal children from family and culture, Miss Andy said. A Victorian parliamentary inquiry in 2010 identified housing as the most overwhelming problem facing female offenders, linking it closely to women offending and reoffending. Many aboriginal women are denied bail due to a lack of appropriate housing, essentially further punishing women and their children for being homeless miss andy said aboriginal women need more homes not more prison beds it is essential that there are more housing options for women experiencing the criminal justice system better access to care within the prisons and support for aboriginal women to heal from their experiences in the justice system miss andy said 500 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have died in custody since a Royal Commission handed down a report in 1991 aimed at preventing Indigenous deaths in the justice system. People who have made mistakes are continuously paying for it with the deprivation of their human rights and abuse of power being forced on them, Ms Clark said. Something needs to change.
0: Yep, so that is... Yeah, pretty clearly, uh, showing some of the horrors of the criminal justice system.
1: Not long ago, that number was four hundred; mm. it's of five hundred now.
0: Um, and they make a good argument in this story. It's it because about crime not being caused by personal failings it's not something that people need to be re- rehabilitated from it's something that people need to it's something that we need to uh find the source of to attack and the source nine ninety nine 99 times out of 100 is that people don't have what they need to live
1: absolutely and if aboriginal mothers are targeted by poverty then they're going to be the ones filling up the prison hmm.
0: Our next story is a positive one in, uh, from the Northern Territory, Northern ter- NT Kids Education Programme held a Success by Sarah Collard, also from NITV. Community elders and leaders have thrown their support behind an innovative early education program which is delivering benefits for kids and families. Non-profit organisation Children's Ground runs early learning programs that place Indigenous culture at the centre of Western learning in several communities and town camps in and around Alice Springs and the Top End. The Program aims to emphasise individual strengths by embedding families, elders and community, le- community leaders in early learning environments. Children's Ground director Mel Keane says by embracing family and culture, kids can learn in a culturally safe and supported way. Everything we do here at Umpaken Hill, uh, which is Orente for Children's Ground, and I probably mispronounce that terribly, and across the territory is family-led. She told NITV, um, we are ensuring that every experience kids are having is culturally safe, and that's such an important thing. And that is such an important thing for kids and our staff. Now, in its fifth year in Alice Springs, the program's most recent report shows it is having an impact, with more young children engaged, engaging in formal learning. The report said that 82% of children are engaging in formal, formal learning, up from just 14% three years ago, and the majority of children are learning in their first language. The report also said that 89% of families who participated in the program said their children's physical and mental well-being improved. Tyson Carmody is the Health and Wellbeing Coordinator at Children's Ground and said the program's unique approach is having results. They're seeing those children engage positively with their learning, with their health, and more importantly with their culture and family, he told NITV. It's really important. It, become, it just becomes the norm, as it should be. The report, handed down on Friday, was praised by uh, Ken Wyatt, who acknowledged First Nations culture and language is vital in ensuring First Nations children succeed and key closing the gap disadvantage targets are met. Uh, yeah,
1: this is fantastic. This is just what uh, Emma was talking about when we interviewed her earlier on in the year. Mm-hmm. There being a real need in early uh, early learning for Aboriginal culture to be at the centre, especially for Aboriginal kids.
0: Yeah, and uh, this is just, and the sort of, the statistics they give here are, like, pretty mind-blowing. Like, up 82%, up from 14% over three years, that's pretty huge. So, uh, yeah, sit on it. You're listening to Workers' Power on 4 Triple Z with Jackson and...
1: Calypso. Yes,
0: and we are here with Iswed, um who is an organizer. Uh, for those tuning in for the first time, can you tell us about yourself?
2: Yeah, so um, I'm politically, I'm an anarchist, uh, and I'm currently active organizing around a number of different areas at the moment. Um, two of them, which I'm going to be speaking about today, is around the area of tenants, the tenants' struggle with the Southeast Queensland Union of Renters and also uh, with some anti-fascist work with the Campaign Against Racism and Fascism Brisbane.
0: Great. So, uh, first of all, let's talk about SECURE. Uh, And we know that Bill loves
2: that acronym. I love it too. It's a good
1: acronym.
2: What what does it stand for and what's it about? Yeah, we were pretty proud of that acronym when we thought of it. Uh, So, the acronym stands for the South East Queensland Union of Renters. Um we formed midway through this year uh i think we kind of started like the all the various meetings and things that go into forming a union around may and then we officially kind of launched publicly in june or july um so yeah we formed kind of as a response to the like really dire situation for renters in queensland like um Queensland has already had, even prior to COVID, the weakest renters' rights laws in Australia and some of the weakest in the developed world. Like, uh, the rights of renters in Queensland are are shocking. Um, Anyone that's lived elsewhere can tell you that. Uh, So that was already the case. And then COVID saw the rental vacancies get to, like, the lowest rate pretty much ever. So all of a sudden you had renters, like, having to compete with, like, 30 other people for properties, rents going up, homelessness increasing... Um, real estates and landlords using that to their advantage as they tend to do. Uh, so you had this like increasingly dire situation for renters and then with stuff like the Olympics on the horizon in a decade's time now, which always makes conditions worse for people renting and stuff. So you had all of this, um, these various factors. Uh, so a bunch of community members, activists, organisers started getting together, started talking and meeting and discussing how to kind of push back against that. Um, and the solution that was come to was forming... Uh, a renters union, which is what we've done. Um, It's still quite new, you know, I think we're only six or seven months old. Um, So we're still finding our feet a bit, but I think we're uh, pretty excited for for where things can go. Um, We definitely think it's like quite necessary. Like if you've seen the rental reforms that the ALP brought in a few months ago, you know, so these are big rental reforms. The first rental reforms Queensland has had in generations. And it was virtually meaningless. Was some word changes. You know, you can't get evicted on no grounds anymore. You can just get evicted because your lease is finished. Like, whoop-dee-doo, what a change for <laughs> renters. Um, so it's really obvious that if we ever want to see change, it can't be relied on from politicians or or agents being nice. We've got to kind of organise, build our strength up and fight for it. Um, and that's why we have a union.
1: Fantastic. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking of renting a place from... Little real estate. Would you recommend them?
2: (laughs) No, 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 I would not. Uh, We actually have a saying, uh, little real estate, big mistake. So I'd I'd definitely uh, avoid that.
0: Little real estate, by the way, is not just a small real estate. It is a company, Nate, owned by Paul Little. Uh, So what is going on with them?
2: Hmm. Yeah, so we're currently um, in an active campaign against uh, Little Real Estate, which, yeah, is Australia-wide, or it's based in Sydney, Brisbane, and and Melbourne. Uh, as you said, they're owned by Paul Little, who is uh, one of Australia's newest billionaires,
1: um, oh, which is
2: really nice for him, uh, through COVID, <laughs> getting into the billion billionaire bracket. Lovely. Um, so, yeah, uh, we started this campaign in November, early November, I think, or mid-November, um, so, somebody had recently joined the union and they came to a meeting, and towards the end, they started discussing this issue they were having. Um, so, to quickly summarize it, um, in May of this year, I believe, the real estate said, well, Okay, we're going to, there's a, sh- a leak in your shower, we're going to do some work on it. You won't have a shower for a few weeks. All right, well, that's, that's one thing. Um, that still hadn't really been done uh, up until September, or may have been late August. Um, And then they said, hey, wonderful news. You're going to be getting a whole new bathroom, brand new bathroom. It just means we're going to have to get rid of your toilet for the next couple of weeks. So this won't be livable for a few weeks, but you'll get a nice bathroom afterwards.
1: Wait, did they still have to pay for it while it wasn't livable?
2: They did get their rent reduction to not have to pay for it. But because you can't live somewhere where you don't have access to a toilet or a shower or someone to do your laundry our member had to move out of where they were staying for what they thought would be a few weeks and moved into a hotel uh, anyone that stayed in a hotel can tell you it's a lot more expensive than what you'll pay for in rent uh and this two week uh renovation of the bathroom uh which was started in september is still not complete and we're now midway through december uh so it's been months and months now um through that time, there's been multiple guarantees of oh, the bathroom will be ready on X date, and it hasn't. Uh, so for the months of living in a hotel, our member has obviously racked up a lot of money on, on expenses, had a lot of stress because you've been forced out of your house, um, and just a lot of that. Uh, through that entire period, Little Real Estate never really communicated with our member, never really updated them on, like, hey, I know we said that this would be done on this day, but actually it's going to take a week longer. That was always on our member getting in contact with the workers themselves to do. Um, funnily enough, one time, Little Real Estate actually lost the keys. <laughs> <laughs> um, so some stuff couldn't happen there. Um, so our member came to us and we, you know, said, okay, this, this is a really egregious situation, we'll you know, try to fight this as a union. Um, we went to Little Real Estate and had some demands as a union, compensation for the financial, uh, extra money that had to be spent on the hotel above the rent, and uh, guaranteed lease extension of 12 months to protect against retaliatory evictions. Uh, Little Real Estate responded by giving them a no grounds eviction within 24 hours, um, mm. which to me I'd say that's pretty clearly retaliatory. Um, it's very difficult for cute cat to ever decide anythings retaliatory, but you know from where I'm sitting, I think that's uh you know I'd probably say it's pretty obvious <laughs> um so because of that uh the union brought forward their camp the campaign um since then we have started doing weekly pickets of little real estate Spring Hills office uh, every Friday at twelve p m uh those have been a lot of fun You're getting some really good turnout, really high energy um quite enjoyable little actions. Uh, I definitely recommend if people are looking for a a way to get involved, you can come along to them. And um, we've got a lot of other stuff on the the go as well that um, I'll probably avoid talking about uh, too much here. Um, Just because we're still kind of going forward with them. So you're telling
1: me that if I rented with little real estate, they could tear up my bathroom, rendering my apartment unlivable, forcing me to pay more than rent in order to live... Uh, somewhere livable and then not pay me back and then evict me?
2: Well, legally probably not. But the uh, funny thing about real estates and the real estate industry is uh, even the few rights that we do have on paper mean very, very little if we don't have the collective strength to actually fight for them. Uh, so real estates will stomp all over them. We'll do dodgy stuff like that and uh, more often than not think that they can get away with it. Yeah,
1: fantastic. If any of our listeners have had any horror stories with a real estate or a landlord, they can text into the SMS line, which is zero four two zero six two six seven three three, and tell us about it.
0: So, what kind of response have you gotten to your campaign from both the real estate agency and uh, other people, like the community?
2: The response from the community has been really great. Um, we get flooded with messages almost daily, either with people sharing their own horror stories with Little Real Estate, um, but often they're coming from positions of like, "Hey, I really support what you're doing. This is my horror story, but I'm, you know, I'm not comfortable joining you because I'm worried I'll be retaliated against," which is a very mm-hmm. understandable position. Because um, so we're getting a lot of support from both people currently renting with Little, a lot of ex-Little. Um, tenants that are like, hey, I'm so glad I'm not with them anymore, um, and just a lot of support from the general public as well, which is, you know, always really great to see. Uh, from Little, um, so we haven't got too much of a response at all. Uh, we've tried to, uh, the community as a whole has tried to call Little Real Estate up multiple times to, to talk to them about the situation, and they refuse to answer their phones. Um, usually uh, on the time of the pickets, they'll close up the office. Um lock themselves in so to speak. Um so they're you know, they're I don't think they're very happy. <laughs> now uh they're not coming and talking to us, which is a bit of a shame I think. But I, I don't think they're too pleased. Um But uh, you know, neither are we, and neither is our member that has had to have that has had to go through this really terrible situation and and lose all of this money, and and go through that final semester at at uni, before graduating, dealing with all of that, all of those studies, assignments, exams and stuff, while not even being able to be in your own home, so. Yeah, the
0: what you, what you mentioned about people uh, being afraid of retaliation—that's interesting because I imagine they would be somewhat um, reassured if you can manage to show your strength in this campaign, and that really shows the importance of like this first strike of the secure.
2: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think, um, you know, most tenants, particularly because tenants are so used to acting individually and feeling kind of atomized, kind of correctly surmise that up against the real estate agent or the landlord. They don't have much strength. They don't have much power. They're kind of at the at the whims of these little tyrants. Um, and trying to build up the idea that, like, hey, no, when we actually act together and we fight together, you you can push back is, you know, it's difficult when, when we're trying to break out of that really embedded um, kind of culture and view that a lot of people fairly have. And I think, like, yeah, that's why these... You know, these fights, these struggles uh, are really important, even if they don't necessarily win and get all the demands to just show that, you know, tenants don't have to sit there and just take it or sit there and silently just be exploited and screwed over, that they do have the option of, of fighting if that's something that they're interested in doing.
1: You mentioned earlier about the Olympics coming and that affecting rental properties. What can we see when that starts to happen?
2: Um, so if you look at a lot of other cities where they have the Olympics, um, the government always makes the Olympics out like it's going to be a really great thing. Uh, capitalists and the petty bourgeois get really, really excited because they're going to make a lot of money. And virtually everybody else gets screwed over really badly. Uh, what Sounds you'll, familiar. Mm, mm. <laughs> uh, so usually what you'll see is a lot of suburbs being cleared out. Like um, I imagine, for example, a lot of homeless people that... Uh, live closer around the inner city. We'll we'll probably start seeing violent removals of them as the Olympics get closer. Um, You'll start seeing entire suburbs or like areas of suburbs being like, hey, you'll have to leave because we're going to renovate this whole thing into something a lot fancier. The city will be really kind of reconstructed, and as always, the uh, people not at the top will be the ones that are actually screwed over and punished for this, while the... uh, The higher-ups, the people with money will get to take advantage of of the situation as it comes up. Um, I think the one thing they're like, oh, we'll we'll build better public transport from this. I'll I'll put money on it right now. We won't see a single improvement to our public transport system. If anything, it'll probably get worse. Hmm. Uh,
0: So where can those interested find out more about Secure and, more importantly, how to join?
2: Yeah, so we have a Facebook, we have an Instagram and we have a website. Um, if you just put in SE, like Secure, S-E-Q-U-R or Southeast Queensland Union of Renters, they should all come up. Um, our Facebook is good for keeping track of all the events that we have coming up and stuff like that. Um, but if you want to just sign up, you can do so through our website um, and then somebody from the union will get in contact with you for a chat. Uh, so that's on our website. But if you want to suss things out first, you know, see what, if the union's for you, come along to one of our meetings, which we have fortnightly or to one of the pickets, um, and you can do that. This Friday, we're actually holding our last picket of little real estate for the year before things kind of close down for Christmas. Uh, we're gonna have that be like, uh, go out with a bang. Uh, we should have a band playing a few songs, just uh, you know, casually, a bit of um, solidarity forever, so to speak. Um, so yeah, that'll be a really exciting event that I would recommend people coming along to. Uh, that'll be in Spring Hill at 50 Leichhardt Street. Um, yeah,
1: and what time's that one happening?
2: Uh, that is twelve PM, twelve PM on Friday. Anything else you want to say about secure? Um, look, if if you're a renter in Brisbane, you know, you should join your renters' union. Um, you know, the only way things are going to improve is if we all get active and we all fight together. So, yeah, I'd recommend giving it a think.
1: Well, well said.
0: You're listening to Workers' Power on 4 Z with Jackson and Calypso. And we are talking to Izwed from uh, Campaign Against Racism and Fascism, Mianjin. Uh, can you talk tell us about what this group is doing?
2: Yeah, so... Um, CAF, which, which is the shorthand for that because it's a bit easier to say. Um, so CAF was originally a campaign group that was formed in Melbourne... Um, I believe, uh, to respond to the Reclaim Australia movement. Um, And it was a very uh, big and effective uh, kind of campaigning body coalition against uh, racism and fascism in Melbourne for a long time. Uh, And then in uh, this year, uh, in response to the attack on the CMFEU office that occurred, um, a bunch of activists and organisers um, in Brisbane uh, started getting together and talking about the need to organize against the growing uh, far-right threat that is kind of using the anti-vax movement to push its its agenda forward uh yeah the need to organize against that and sort of like yeah coalescing under the calf banner here as well um so like calf brisbane is made up of a, a lot of different people from a lot of different organizations and a lot of different walks of life Uh, The kind of unifying thing is believing in the importance of organising against the growing power that the far right is building in Australia and spreading a a counter-message to this, you know, far-right anti-vax nonsense that's kind of like, you know, pro-public health, pro-social solidarity, uh, pro-union and um, very anti-fascist.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, there is a action plan for this weekend. Can you give us some details about that?
2: Yeah, so one of the main things that CAF has been doing in Brisbane over the last couple of months is organising counter-demonstrations um, to the nonsense freedom rallies uh, that are being organised by the far right. Um, so a couple of these have been organised so far already, um, which has been good. And then uh, the next one is this Saturday, the 18th of December, uh, at 2pm in Bunyapa Park in West End. Um, Because the anti-vaxxers, the the far-right anti-vaxxers, will be holding their rally in Musgrave Park at 3pm.
1: Musgrave, of all places that they choose.
2: Mm. (laughs) Yeah, that's... uh, That was... um, Yeah, I think that is a a pretty big spit in the face to a lot of people. Hmm. So, um,
0: why is it important that workers attend this rally?
2: I mean, I think, uh, you know, the simplest answer is because, like, the far right is and always has been a massive danger to workers, to the working class. Um, Alongside that, like, the anti-health and anti-vax messages of this movement is a massive threat to everyone's health and safety and, and people's capacity to live, you know lives where they're not worrying about their sick you know uh, family member getting COVID and dying or getting sick while going to work um like when you look at you know the kind of who who are cohering who, who's leading this movement in the various places you know it's usually very far-right politicians uh and genuinely known nazis and fascists so like in brisbane for example the kind of three main political figures trying to really push this and build from this are Pauline Hanson, Campbell Newman and Clive Palmer. They are all very well known uh, politicians that do not have the interests of the working class in their minds, you know. Campbell Newman how, how many public servants have they fired in in their political career? Um, how many times has Pauline Hanson voted against anything that benefits the working class? Clive Palmer is a fucking mineral billionaire. <laughs> um so you have like the you know these politicians like you've got the whole menagerie of far right grifters and ideologues that have just jumped onto this opportunity to use COVID and like the nebulous idea of freedom as this like smokescreen to to push along their far right messages to organise to recruit and to build their base. Like I think what we're seeing here with with the anti-vax movement is the starting point of the far right in Australia, trying to build up an active, violent, on-the-ground far-right movement like what we've seen kind of emerge in the US um, around Trump and Europe around their various far-right figures over the last couple of years. Um, and I think, you know, that is dangerous. That poses a, a threat to to everybody, you know, um, that, like people of colour... Um, LGBTQ people um, workers like uh, you need to smash a far right movement before it gets the chance to to really form um, we don't want them getting strong, we're already seeing like, just look at the last couple of months how many uh, workers have been violently attacked at work because of the anti-vax movement, like, so many retail workers are being genuinely attacked, like a bunch have been knocked out over the last couple of weeks oh my god um, yeah, uh, there's a video of uh, one uh, anti-vaxxer pushing one um, a worker down uh, an escalator, knocking them out. Oh, it's a very terrible footage. Um, but also workers being spat on, uh, being abused, um, clinics being attacked, um, politicians being sent death threats. Uh, but I think uh, one of the most disgusting, that really I think kind of personifies why this idea that some people have, they're like, oh, this this movement actually, it's just it's people that care about freedom. These are good people. Um, So a a hospital in Toowoomba. Uh, Hospital workers generally are some of the hardest-working and longest-working workers in in the country. A bunch of workers, they finished work, and on their cars, people had taped notes to them all uh, accusing them of being complicit in the greatest genocide of human history and that the people had spoken and had condemned them and their families to death and the will will be acted out at the given time.
1: That's really ominous. Yeah. And also, uh, referring to the greatest genocide in history, that is that is straight-up right-wing rhetoric.
2: Hmm. Well, funnily enough, a lot of this movement doesn't believe in things like the Holocaust <laughs> or uh, the, um, geno- the attempted genocide of Indigenous Australians or uh, Native Americans. So it's a very uh, insidious insidious movement uh, that is... You know, even when people say freedom, this is about freedom. Uh, something I often think, because, you know, you can look at Pauline Hansen or, or Campbell Newman or a lot of these other people that I've seen speak, you know, even at the rallies, and it's like, okay, freedom, right? Well, why are you all opposed to the freedom of refugees? Uh, why are you all opposed to the freedom of people to live above the poverty line by having uh, the dole raised to uh, an appropriate level? Um, uh, wh- what's your view on the freedom of trans people being able to live as who they are? Um, queer, like um, you know, LGBTQ marriage, like all of these things that are a freedom uh, as a whole. The, p- these politicians are opposed to all of those things. So when they're up here being like, "We're the ones fighting for freedom, freedom, freedom," well, they're lying. They don't give a shit about freedom. They just see this as an amazing opportunity to build their base, to whip people up, to get people violent and aggressive, and use that uh, for things like the attack on the CMFEU and attack on. On workers, attack on unions, attack on any ideas of socialism or even the most milk and toast social democracy. Um, yeah, so it's a movement that needs to be responded to because I think we've seen over the past couple of weeks politicians and even the unions, they're very weak on this. They um, seem to be willing to mostly tail it or shut their mouth. I, I think they're kind of hoping that if they just let this movement do it at once, that eventually it'll just fizzle out. Um, Unfortunately, history's kind of shown that that isn't really what occurs with far-right movements. Um, If Politicians just kind of acceding to them historically tends to go badly. Um, Yeah, so, yes, what I'm saying is the best response is workers, unionists, um, all, all of these people coming out and collectively, organising on the street to make it very clear that we are anti-fascist, that we're pro-health, that we're pro-social solidarity, pro-union's, and all of these other things, and we're opposed to we're opposed to figures like Pauline Hanson and Campbell Newman co-opting things like uh, my body, my choice. Right? Nobody should let these politicians utter those words unless they're finally uh, supporting women's liberation, which they're not. That's
1: just pointing out their own hypocrisy.
2: Yeah. Uh, so
0: what kind? So it's pretty clear that uh, we need to oppose uh, this movement. <coughs> Workers need to scare the uh, fascists out of the streets. Uh, so what kind of response have you gotten from the rallies so far?
2: Um, good. Uh, so, like I said, we've only done two rallies so far, um, and. So far, they've been building up in attendance, um, building up in, in support. Um, like I said, a lot of the you know institutions, so to speak, like uh, politicians or things, uh, so far are being slow to respond. But that won't necessarily continue being the case. But I think, um, funnily enough, uh, actually on these marches, it, it's quite funny. Uh, you know, I've done activism and a lot of for a long time. I've done a lot of marches. Usually, the response on the street is quiet ambivalence, maybe. Um, at best, but uh, kind of marching with this like pro health message and anti 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 vax message um, it actually gets quite a lot of support um from just everyone on the street like I think the general population the vast majority of people they don 't support anti vax nonsense they don 't support the a lot of like you know people like Pauline Hansen and all of that um and that 's good it's it 's good that the majority of people don't support it. What's needed is the the majority of people to also get active.
0: Mm, To actively oppose it. Uh, So where can workers find out more detail about being able to oppose it?
2: Um, So the best place is the Campaign Against Racism and Fascism Brisbane Facebook page. Uh, That will have all the events on there. Um, There is an organising meeting tomorrow night. Uh, I can't confirm with you exactly what that is. And then this Saturday, uh, the rally, 2 p.m., Banyapa Park, uh, in West End. Um, there has also recently been a website that's been established. It is on the Facebook page, if I get the uh, name of it wrong. I think it's, uh, Re- reporting anti-vax attacks on workers or something like that. It- it's a website where if you are abused by an anti-vaxxer or, uh, suffer from like violence from this movement. Um, which like I've said, uh, unfortunately a lot of people are, where you can report it, collate the information and, and stuff like that.
0: So is that for the purpose
2: of like publicly shaming this movement? Um, I think it's for two purposes. One, to be able to have some very firm evidence to be pointed to like how prevalent this is, mm. but also to you know help people kind of understand you know what's going on.
1: I've been called a mask slave at work <laughs> for wearing a mask. So it doesn't surprise me.
2: Hmm. Yeah. No. Marslay like, I mean, like all all of this stuff that they keep going on about, like, oh, this is apartheid. This is segregation. Oh, like, yeah. just the idea of these like small business owners, fucking right, that are, that are being like, yeah, we we are we are as oppressed as fucking um, you know black people in South Africa during apartheid <laughs> is just the most <laughs> disgustingly ah. Uh, it 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 drives me mad.
1: There's a lot of privilege that they get to say that and, and make a comparison like that.
2: Um, so, uh,
0: we are going to go to a song soon. We'll be coming back with third lines. But before that, any th- closing words on Calf? Um,
2: hopefully I'll see you all on Saturday, um, 2 p.m., and then see where things go in the new year. Um, I think as long as people keep the ideas of solidarity in in the in mind, we'll get out of this all right. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me along today. Is cheer. You. Power. When you. Turn in, to work is
0: power. You're listening to Workers' Power on Four Triple Z with Jackson and Calypso and. We got some um, workers' action. We can yes. talk about people. Some good stories.
1: The line. Some exciting stories. I'm happy to talk about.
0: Uh, so, well, take, take us away for the first one. Then, so,
1: guys. we've got a huge union win. Union members at Ipswich Waste Services have today secured a new enterprise agreement after months of negotiations. TWU members had submitted industrial action for today, and a new deal was sent through last week and endorsed by the membership this morning. The new office sees members achieve higher wages, extra super, and higher allowances that amount to the best local government deal in recent memory. This is what happens when members stand together and take action. They get results. Huge congratulations to all the delegates and members involved.
0: Hell yes! Ipswich Waste Services. I, I'm don't know entirely what that means. Assuming it's the garbage, garbage people, people who do the garbage trucks. So. Yes. It on them,
1: huge shout out to all sanitation workers.
0: Hell yeah, very, very important work and definitely deserves the higher wages and all that that they won. Um,
1: that's not the only win we have to report.
0: No, after two weeks on the grass, AMW members at Ramset Ride have secured a new deal. Here are some of the highlights uh, they won a 2.75% wage increase. Uh, oh, that seems to be over three years. I'm not sure if that's annual or not. And uh, either way, good on them. Back, pay. Oh, back pay. Back pay from July 1st. Ooh, nice. Uh, $500 sign-on bonus. Always love a sign-on bonus. Ten days paid domestic violence leave. I keep seeing that everywhere. It's uh, every becoming a thing. List. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, improved phone call-out provisions. Uh, not sure what that means, but good on them. And no loss or trade-off of conditions. Oh. Mwah.
1: yes oh my god it's 10 days paid domestic violence leave something i would like to see across the board in all industries mm. so hopefully we'll see more of that something
0: that workers could fight for as uh, just like to get into law really would yeah. be ideal um <laughs> we it's desperately needed uh in our society unfortunately um,
1: Let's talk about trains.
0: Ah, uh, yes. Now this is, I'm, I, this is not related to the strike that was talked about on at the Z-lines at the start of the show, um, but it is in the New South Wales from the RTBU. Um, I, th- I don't think it's related to the strike. It, does, it doesn't mention a strike. Anyway, um, so do you want to read this one out?
1: Yes. So? Rail workers are calling on the New South Wales government to tear up the contract it has signed with a Spanish company to manufacture a new fleet of trains to run throughout regional New South Wales. The Spanish company is the same company responsible for the Inner West trams, which are currently all off the tracks, as a result of cracking throughout the f- oh, fleet. Oh, jeez. The trams are out of warranty, which could mean taxpayers are forced to foot the bill for the repairs. Similar issues have been found in the company's trams worldwide. Rail, tram and bus union, New South Wales Secretary Alex Clarsens, said for the New South Wales government to push ahead with the contract for the new regional fleet in the face of worker concerns and in the wake of the light rail issues would be irresponsible at best. New South Wales government needs to put on hold all overseas manufacturing contracts, Ms Classen said. Workers have grave safety concerns about these new trains, even before we knew about the company's shocking track record. The new regional fleet is designed to be built in such a way that the front carriage would be at real risk of derailment if it hits anything, like a fallen tree or an animal on the tracks. That's a serious concern given that in Australia, particularly regional Australia, hitting things on our tracks is commonplace. The RTBU understands that the New South Wales government has signed a contract with the Spanish company, but the final design has not yet been signed off yet. This New South Wales government's track record when it comes to transport management is getting beyond a joke. They've purchased trains that require massive infrastructure alterations, blown billions on a poorly managed light rail build. They've got a new fleet of trains sitting idle because they're too unsafe to operate. And now they're looking at having to fork out huge amounts of money to fix the inner west light rail. Now they want to buy another fleet of trains from overseas from a manufacturer already proven to deliver questionable rolling stock. It's time the New South Wales government implemented a quota on Australian-built infrastructure and started putting commuter and worker safety first.
0: That's <laughs> just ridiculous. Jesus, I just don't want to get
1: energy. on one of those trains.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, like, you could... Say that the reason they're doing it is because they're cheap and they want to get the cheap trains,
1: but it's more expensive in the yeah, long run.
0: Yeah, clearly. So, I mean, my only the only thing I can think of for a reason that uh, they would get uh, trains from an overseas company instead of Australian companies, which you know you would expect uh, the Australian government to do, is that someone has interests in those companies.
1: Yeah, yeah. Some, someone
0: in the government has some interests, you know.
1: It's just, it's so, <laughs> so stupid. And look, we love, we love trains, but we don't like trains that fall apart.
0: No. We need public transport, but we also need it to, you know, work and not kill us.
1: And who knows these issues better than the workers that are on the ground? If they're saying yeah. something's up, then something needs to happen.
0: Yes, and that is, of course, why we need to get rid of governments and bosses and run things ourselves because the workers are the people who are best uh, placed to actually make the decisions regarding the work they do because, believe it or not, when you do the work, you actually learn things about the work and become...
1: An expert.
0: Yeah. Basically, every worker is an expert in their field. There
1: is no unskilled labour. Or
0: at least they are more of an expert than the person who has never worked. The
1: person sitting in their, their <laughs> mansion with on their comfy chair, their, their comfy, expensive $2,000 chair.
0: Yeah, and, th- and like they don't even have to be an expert because this isn't just... A s- we're not just talking about a single worker. We're talking about to, like worker democracy here. Have they
1: even ridden in a train? Or do they <laughs> fly only by par- private jet? <laughs> <laughs> like they
0: fly. To <laughs> they get in their helicopter every day, <laughs> go to <their> skyscraper buildings. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's the public tr- transport. We need helicopters for everyone.
1: I've got a, a story about mcdonald's
0: yes we've got this one is from rafu i always love a rafu story best union um so mcdonald's class action claims a systemic failure to provide rest breaks mcdonald's is fa- facing a class action over the company's alleged failure to provide its employees with paid 10-minute rest breaks The McDonald's staff class action filed in the federal court by Shine Lawyers follows a 2020 finding that former employee Chara Staines was not provided with paid 10-minute rest breaks when working shifts four hours or longer. It also found that... The franchisee misre- misrepresented the nature of the breaks. Stains was entitled to, under the McDonald's Australian Enterprise Agreement 2013 and the Fast Food Industry Award 2010, staff are entitled to a paid 10-minute break for shifts lasting between four and nine hours, uh, as well as two paid 10-minute breaks for shifts nine hours and longer. Which, to be honest, is not enough. No. we need more breaks than that 10
1: minutes is not enough time to go buy a sushi come back and eat it
0: yeah like 4, <laughs> four hours is just so long and the only 10 minutes in there come on and they're not even getting that so a joint- eat
1: your sushi or go to the bathroom not both
0: hmm a joint investigation between Shine and the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union, yes, which supported Stain's case, has led to the court action, which is being underwritten by litigation funding from uh, uh, litigation funding firm Courthouse Capital. Uh, Shine class action practice leader Vicky Ant- Ancelatos said, What we are alleging is a systemic failure across the McDonald's network. We are dealing with a class of vulnerable workers, mostly minors, who it appears were systemically not entitled provided with their entitled rest breaks. Many worked in extreme heat and other onerous conditions for hours on end and couldn't access the toilet or a drink. This conduct has, in many instances, affected the physical and mental well-being of the workers, and the class action seeks to hold McDonald's to account, she said. "Rafu secretary, John Cullinan, described McDonald's blatant disregard to workers as breathtaking. I imagine you would have your breath a bit taken after working for four hours with no break.
1: Absolutely, especially in a place like Macca's, it's yeah. always busy.
0: Yeah, and I'm a and that's not particularly um, super well managed. I would imagine, like, you always got to be dealing with all the bullshit that comes with working in corporate fast food as well as having to just do your job regularly as well.
1: And for a lot of people, this will be their first job. Yeah. So they don't know anything yet. They don't know about breaks. They don't know what they're legally entitled to.
0: Yeah, and that's why it's so important for unions to be able to access workplaces so they can uh, let the workers there know what their rights are. Like, that is the, like, most important thing because the unions have spent, decades winning things for workers' rights, getting this long list of rights we have as workers to actually live semi-comfortably in this system. Um, and But if we don't know what we've won, then we can't access it. And so that's why it's so important that unions get onto workplaces and just let people know, and also that we can just create more opportunities for education in our society. Um, uh, and but also, you, if you some, often if you do access these rights, you will simply uh, you'll face retaliation in the workplace. Like they obviously they won't say it's because you tried to access. They can your cut right.
1: your hours. For Any reason they can just stop giving you hours, yeah.
0: Casual, casualized work, of course, it's a huge weapon they're, they're gaining. So, you can't, so it's just, uh, apart from just knowing your rights, you also need to have the union to back them up, the strength in the workplace to go on strike, take action, or even take legal action if uh, that is an option for you, um, yeah
1: speaking of taking action oh yeah we've got this story about the new south wales te- teacher strike this comes to us from jim McIlroy from the green left tens of thousands of teachers went on strike across new south wales on december 7 with rallies against staff shortages and for sustainable workloads with compatible sat- competitive salaries in Sydney, more than 15,000 teachers and principals gathered in Hyde Park and marched to the New South Wales Parliament, where they heard from their colleagues and union officials. The New South Wales Teachers' Federation defied an Industrial Relations Commission order to cancel the strike to demand the government listened. It was the, first union, it was the union's first major industrial action in more than a decade. The main chant was, More than thanks. This referred to the government's pretend support for teachers when they work 55 hours a week or more to keep up with higher student needs and constant curriculum changes. Their wages have fallen behind other professions and one in eight teachers leaves the profession within six years because of the pay and workload pressures. Across the strait, more than 1,000 full-time teaching positions have not been filled and the work conditions mean it is harder to recruit talented people to become teachers. The Teachers' Federation is demanding a 5% pay rise across the board, with an additional 25 rise for the most experienced teachers, together work with two hours extra planning and preparation time per week. This challenges the government's public sector pay cap of 2.5%, imposed in 2011, which has meant wage cuts for all public sector workers. New South Wales Education Minister Sarah Mitchell launched a vitriolic attack on the Teachers' Federation on the day of the strike in the Sydney Morning Herald, including that teachers deserve better representation and that the New South Wales Teachers' Federation actively fights any move to increase transparency in the school system and blocks initiatives to lift outcomes and support students. Boo. Teachers Federation the, President... The person
0: who said that, I meant...
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Teachers Pre- uh, Federation President Angelo Gavrielis addressed her comments, telling the rally that the union was more than happy to talk about transparency. The government has covered up hundreds of pages of documents from its own department, revealing that New South Wales is currently facing a large and growing teacher shortage, he, ha- he said. The documents state that we will run out of teachers in five years. <laughs> oh, wow. Where's the transparency in this government cover-up? He asked. Gavrielitis acknowledged the distance teachers had travelled to attend the strike, those taking their first industrial action. When you, experience, when you experience your first collective action, you never go back, and ended with, we're not going away, we will be back. Teachers from a number of suburban and regional schools addressed the strike. They gave details of how difficult it is to teach when, for instance, staff shortages mean that up to four classes have to merge in the library. (laughs) One teacher received loud applause when she said, the New South Wales government is throwing us under the bus while we attempt to clean up their mess. An experienced primary school teacher told Green Left, one in five high school teachers are being forced to teach outside their own subject areas because of the teacher shortage. It is simply unfair to high school certificate students, especially to be taught by teachers outside their area of expertise. This happened to me in high school. I had to get taught IT by an English teacher. Oh no. You know how that goes. (laughs) It was very uplifting to be part of the strong industrial action today. One colleague told me it was the first time in their twenty years teaching experience that the whole day the whole of this school shut down for the day. The huge turnout of young teachers was very encouraging. It bodes well for the future of the campaign and teacher unionism in general. He said the New South Wales Teachers Federation will try to negotiate for a better enterprise agreement, but unless teachers' needs are substantially met, we will need to take further strong industrial action next year.
0: This is pretty awesome.
1: Fantastic.
0: Huge strike and incredibly important to not just for... The teachers themselves, but for the students for who our youth, rely for our on them for their education. Um, yeah, uh, that's, pre- that's pretty. That's pretty awesome. A uh, uh, big strike. Love big strikes.
1: Yes. Uh, love big strikes.
0: Fifteen thousand teachers.
1: That's uh, a big number, hey.
0: Yeah, from from all over New South Wales.
1: Well, it's a dire situation.
0: Um. Lovely, let's talk We've about We've
1: got a great story now. Yeah,
0: we're on to in some international workers' action. Did you want
1: to read this one?
0: Yeah, I'll read this one. So, you may have heard about the Kellogg strike. We've reported on it before, but it's also pretty popular on social media. And that has led to some interesting developments in the uh, actions surrounding the strike. Because after Kellogg's announced plans to hire hundreds of employees to replace workers who have been on strike for more than two months now. Activists have pledged to flood job application websites and company boards with bogus applications in solidarity with the striking union members. Calls were spread on the r antiwork anti-work subreddit, which has more than 1 million members to send out applications. And a programmer on TikTok wrote a program that automatically sent fault- false applications to the job sites. The post from user BlumenFunions on r antiwork anti-work uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, so this is a post it's time to clog their toilet of an application pipeline, the user wrote it's time for r slash anti-work to make the news as a formidable fighter for the average worker, nothing is scarier to uh, business than organised labour the post recommended users to submit applications at one or more websites, pretend you're a resident of one of the cities with a Kellogg strike and make up an address or and phone number, this way they can't filter out our apps easily Activist and developer Sean Black, who uses the handle BlackMadness21 on TikTok, demonstrated a program that he says creates an account for the online job posting form, fills in the form, and uploads a resume. Other social media's and other social media users have also rallied to flood job sites with fake tips. Uh earlier this week, hundreds of striking union workers at four Kellogg cereal plants in the US overwhelmingly voted to reject a tentative agreement on a 5-year contract negotiated between the union and the company, extending a strike that started in early October. Roughly 1400 members of the Bakery, Confectionery, Tobacco Workers and Grain Millers International Union have spoken have spoken Uh, Union President Anthony Anthony Shelton said in a statement on the 7th of December, the strike continues. The Union is grateful for the outpouring of fraternal support we received from across the Labour movement for our striking members at Kellogg's, he added. Solidarity is critical to this fight. Striking employees in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Nebraska, and Tennessee produce products like Rice Krispies, Raisin Bran, Fruit Loops, Corn Flakes, and Frosted Flakes. A previous job listing on the job site indeed.com said the company is looking for company for employees to cross the picket line to join hundreds of Kellogg salaried employees. How are the employees and contractors to keep the lines running during the strike? While these positions are temporary at this time, they could lead to permanent opportunities in the future. The listing said, So, yeah, the that is the end of the story. The, the Kellogg's intentionally trying to like
1: get scab labor,
0: get scab labor, yes, like explicitly saying, Hey, we want scabs. Um, and we want
1: scabs we will give you scabs,
0: and <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. Um
1: all these Reddit users yeah, yeah. filling out fake applications and coming up with coding to 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 just overflood all of the applications, they're gonna have to sit there and phone each application to figure out which ones are real. Genius. Yeah. Genius. The the
0: digital revolution has given many uh, weapons to our to, to the employer class to further oppress us, but also uh, we can use it as a tool to fight back against them. Um, yeah, it's that's really cool, uh, and we see things about th- things like this all the time here too. Like there was the. Recently the job seeker tip offline they introduced here in Australia or something like that uh, for bosses to dub dub in workers who were not who hadn't taken a job that they offered or something like that mm. um, and
1: was immediately flooded with prank calls
0: yeah pretty much it's pretty great um, yeah the, the, this sort of thing it's it's, it's a relatively new tactic in um, activism but it can be very effective and it's pretty cool seeing it used to support a strike it's very, it's like a, 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 like a almost like a, a, co- a crossover in history between modern tactics and old ones um, and now that is all we have.
1: So we've got some events.
0: Oh, events! Lovely. Here's
1: an event that's happening today at six PM. It's the Anarchism One Hundred One Intro Class at Common House. Um, so the the topic for this fortnight is Anarchism, which we'll look at what Anarchism is, its history, and most importantly, how Anarchism proposes we can achieve a truly egalitarian and sustainable society. So anyone can go to these classes. They're free. It's fun learn a bit about anarchism, why not? 6pm, that's at Common House today. Uh, We've got some other events that we mentioned earlier in the show with our guest.
0: Yes, so that is with the campaign against racism and fascism, there is a counter-protest to the so-called freedom rallies. Uh, this Saturday at Banyapa Park at two pm. That's and right. It's very important that we, many people get to those, so we can shut down the growing fascist movement here in Australia that is trying to take over the that is trying to influence the anti-vax movement, as well as just shutting down the anti-vax movement as, itself, because that is pretty bad. Um, and. There is the secure Southeast Queensland Union of renters picket outside of Little Real Estate Spring Hill. that's 50 Leichhardt Street, Spring Hill this Friday at 12 pm. Uh, it's very important as well because it is the southeast because it's the union's first big action and they have to show their strength to get the faith of the tenants in Mianjin. Uh, is that all we got for events?
1: Yes. It's time for Scallywag of the Week. This week it's Judy Brinsmead, chairman of ADCO. Workers from the Springfield Park and Ride Project have been left high and dry after ADCO, uh, one of the subcontractors on the site, uh, Boeing... Broke robbing workers of wages, super and other entitlements. Adcom made $22.5 million last year and Judy is worth $600 million and can well afford to pay these workers at this very important family time of the year. Last Thursday, Workers' Power was out with CMFEU comrades and we protested on Coronation Drive Milton before taking the protest to Adco HQ. Judy Brinsmead really is a Grinch and deserved winner for this week's Scallywag of the Week Award. Judy Brinsmead more like Judy Idiot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, uh, Judy Brinsmead, screwing over workers, shame on you. And that is it for Workers' Power. That's all we got time, time
1: for. Thanks for tuning in.
0: We've had a pretty good show. Thank you for listening.
1: Stay tuned for Brisbane Line.